this is Glover Teixeira, UFC light heavyweight champion. Hi, I'm Robbie Lawler. What's up, Fight Family? This is your favorite MMA coach, Thiago Alves, the Pitbull. Hey, what's up, guys? I'm Pedro Munoz. Mike Brown. Hey, I'm Alexei Alenik. And welcome. And welcome. And welcome. And welcome. And this is Yvonne Juan Picks. And you're watching We Want Picks. To We Want Picks. We Want Picks. To We Want Picks. To We Want Picks. Hi, everybody from America. My name's Angelo, and welcome to We Want Picks. I'm going to break down the entire UFC Long Island fight card. I'm going to give you my predictions, my picks, and my bets. Before I jump in, if this is the only video you watch every week, I'm not the only person on this channel. We also have Jacob. And if you watch our Tuesday night full card breakdowns, it's myself and Jacob. Lots of bantering and bickering. But the reason I'm bringing this up is Jacob just went a perfect 11 and O for UFC Vegas 58. He picked the entire card start to finish correctly. So there are two of us. We do differ and have different opinions on fights every now and then. So make sure you watch all of our content, not just this video. And also make sure you go to wewantpicks.com slash bets. Sign up with any one of our betting partners, make a deposit, and we send you 50 bucks as a thank you. Each partner offers their own bonus, their own match, all of their own perks and benefits. And then on top of that, we send you 50 bucks as a thank you for supporting us and our partner. So we want picks.com slash bets. We're coming off the heels of a pretty fun UFC Vegas 58. That was not a great card, but some of those fights did deliver. So let's jump in 13 fights in Long Island this weekend, and we're going to start the very first one. We have Jessica Panay taking on UFC newcomer Emily Ducote. Jessica Panay has been fighting since 2006. That is almost 16 years of experience, and during that time, she's picked up some skills along the way, and she's become a pretty well-rounded fighter. She's not great at any one thing, but she does have okay boxing and solid grappling. She took a four year layoff in 2017 and she came back and she's won two fights in a row since then her win their first win in the comeback was against Lupita Godinez she was taken down three times and outstruck that was a bad decision she should have lost that fight but her last win was a very solid win with a first round submission over Karolina Kovashevich where she actually looked pretty good in that fight and she's taken on Emily Ducate or Ducote Duquat. And she's stepping up on six weeks notice and she will be making her UFC debut. But don't let the debut part fool you. She's got plenty of experience in large organizations, including eight fights in Bellator. And then she was the eventual Invicta champion at this weight class. Style-wise, she's a slick counter striker with legitimate power for the division and very good wrestling. She's a durable, durable fighter and very accurate. What she does well is throw straight punches right down the middle. So if you want to play some outside pick-apart game and you start looking for some looping shots, Ducate's going to throw right down the middle and she's got something straight centered and she's going to tag you before you can tag her and then she's going to move right back out. Listen, I'm not a trend guy. I never buy into these stupid narratives like the Dana White Contender Series fade or like I'm just that's not who I am, right? I believe in watching tape, bringing you analysis, and either picking the better fighter or at least the better fighter in that matchup. But the last five weeks, five fight cards in a row, the underdog has won the first fight of the night. 
five cards in a row, and I've got caught with my pants down two weeks in a row, going with the favorite, and not just like a random, fa good-sized favorites that had very clear paths to victory, and two weeks in a row, they ate it. So, listen, that five-week trend is not necessarily going to affect this pick, but that, that, that might be something you want to start thinking about here. So, you know, it, it, we're coming off a sketchy card. This is already a sketchy fight. We have a UFC debut. We have somebody that's not, you know, two and owner last two with a bad decision in the mix. So first off, keep your money. Do not bet on this fight. But with that being said, I do think Emily can win this fight. She's patient. She picks her shots well. Her accurate strikes should be able to keep Jessica away and prevent Jessica from just holding her, clinching her, and riding out a decision like that. So Emily's the pick. But Jessica has proven she can beat some really tough women. She's going to be live in this fight. And that stupid underdog winning the opening fight nonsense <laughs> is there. And there is something. But Emily is the pick. Stay away. There's no reason to bet this fight. And that takes us to Philip Rowe taking on Abubakar Numagomedov. And Philip Rowe's very big for the division. And you can see that here with his four inch height and eight inch reach advantage. He's a high volume striker and he does a great job using his length and his range. His ground game is fantastic, but his wrestling could definitely use some work. He only has 47% takedown defense. And when he does get taken down, he can struggle to get back up. Even in the fight with Jason Witt, which he won by KO early in the second round. He gave up four takedowns and five full minutes of control town, control town, control time. Abukar Nurmagomedov is an aggressive wrestler with one goal in mind. Come forward, throw hands, and get that takedown. When he gets on top, he's got solid pressure and control, but he does have questionable submission defense. His hands are solid, and while he won't be knocking people out anytime soon, he can hang on his feet long enough for people to forget that the shot is coming, and then he'll take that shot. Every Saturday while I watch these fights, I take notes. I got my laptop in front of me. I take notes of what happens so that months later, a year later, whenever it is that I break down that fighter again, I know exactly what happened in the previous fight because sometimes you forget and then just looking at stats just doesn't tell that whole story. And the notes that I have on Phil from his last fight are verbatim, he will lose to a good wrestler with a chin. Those are the notes that I have, and that's exactly what we have here. Abukar is a good wrestler with a chin. Phil will have a striking and jujitsu advantage, but I don't think it's going to matter here. Abubakar loading up on takedowns and control time will probably get this decision win. So I'm picking against Philip Rowe here because I think he's going to get taken down and he's not going to be able to work back up from underneath. Then we have Dwight Grant taking on Dustin Stoltzfus. Dwight Grant is a long, clean striker who uses range well. He has a ton of power, solid takedown defense, but questionable cardio. Dwight is on a bit of a skid, but he remains dangerous and is stylistically impressive. He has a positive striking differential of almost one full strike and a 100% takedown accuracy. Dustin Stolzfus is a busy striker with very good power. He has a BJJ black belt and he's solid off his back, but that's not what he's looking for. It's easy to say that, oh, he's on a three-fight losing skid and he's got two submission losses, but the reality is that he's had some really rough matchups. For example, he lost to Gerald Mearshart, and I can't stand Gerald Mearshart or his style, but there's no denying that he's a very good grappler. He lost to Rodolfo Vieira, world-level grappler. He lost to Kyle Dawkins, who, you know, a little chinny as of late, but he's also a very good grappler. So yes, three losses in a row, but they were two solid opponents. And it's an interesting fight because both these guys are very dangerous strikers. 
but they both have their flaws. Dwight can be chinny and have cardio issues. Stolzfitz has questionable fight IQ. That loss to Mearshart was because Dustin decided to take him to the ground and decided to bring the fight to where his opponent is most dangerous. I think Dwight Grant is the overall better fighter, so he's going to be my pick. But Dustin's live for a stoppage here, especially considering Dwight Grant was just knocked out one month ago. So this is another do not bet situation. There's too many traps here. Poor fight IQ, chinniness, losing skids on both sides. There's just too many questions to take your actual hard-earned money and put it on this fight. But this should be a really fun matchup. Then we have a, uh, they, they smashed this fight together at the last minute. It's a newly added fight. Both Bill Elgio and Herbert Burns were already on this card, but they lost their opponents. So short notice isn't necessarily a factor here because they were put together, but you know there may be some differing of styles. You're preparing for one opponent. You got another one five days before fight night. Bill Elgio is a fast-paced striker who has kind of that karate-style stance with his hand placement and his, and his footwork. Because of that, he's got some solid defense and surprisingly high output with almost six significant strikes per minute. He likes a dirty stand-up war if he can keep it there. He does have some okay takedowns, but a very low 44% takedown accuracy. He has a BJJ black belt, great cardio, a fast pace style, and he's super durable. Herbert Burns is the younger brother of Gilbert Burns, and not that being related to somebody means that you're going to be any good, but it does mean you're around quality coaching, quality of partners, quality, you know, quality training, and he has been for a while. Similar to what we saw last night with Eamon Sahabi at UFC Vegas 58. While Herbert is not his brother, he is a solid grappler with decent power in his hands. He averages almost five takedowns per 15 minutes. And even though we have not seen him fight in two years, he does have quality wins over grapplers like Evan Dunham and Derek Minner. The problem is that at times he can be submission or bust. He's very dangerous on the ground, but solid submission defense can leave Herbert on his back, just losing minutes, losing rounds, and then eventually losing the fight. Bill Algeo's win, his last win over Joe Anderson Brito was ridiculously impressive. He doubled the number of strikes. He went two for two on takedowns and he had five minutes of control time. He also defended two takedowns and he was just a busier fighter in all three rounds. And I only bring this up because Joe Anderson Brito is very good. He's very active and beating him means something. MMA math is almost meaningless, but wins over solid opponents is not meaningless. And if Algeo can bring that same pressure, the wrestling defense, the energy into this fight that he had in that fight, I think he wins. His BJJ black belt should keep him out of trouble and his striking should cause some trouble. So Burns is coming back after a two-year layoff. And while I'm sure he's well-prepared, Algeo's not gonna give him the room he needs to breathe or adjust. So Algeo's the pick. I'm glad the UFC was able to keep these guys on the card. And I do have a money line bet on Bill Algeo. And I got that at minus 160. And that takes us to one of my favorite fighters to watch in the UFC. We got Dustin Jacoby taking on Da Eun Jung. Dustin Jacoby's a high-level kickboxer who's going to light up your legs. He will chop down that tree early and then he'll work up to the head for a stoppage. He's very technically sound with good power and volume. Taking him down might be like that obvious path to victory because he's such a good striker, but Darren Stewart might disagree, right? He took Dustin down twice and he was still knocked out. Ion Kutalaba took Dustin down nine times and that he didn't even win that fight, right? That went to a draw. But as great as Dustin is, he did not look great in his last fight. He won a decision. He had a knockdown, but he looked sluggish. 
He did say he was injured in his post-fight interview, but that, that was not his best performance. Da Eun Jung is a technical boxer with solid wrestling and clinch work. He's coming off two very dominant wins in a row, but what is impressive with those wins is that they were very different. In his win over William Knight, where he had eight takedowns and plenty of control time, and then in his win over Kennedy and Chuck Wu, he had fantastic striking and he got the early knockout. So we've seen him do everything and we've seen him do it all very well. He is now on a 16 fight unbeaten streak. This is a really fun fight and a really hard pick. I love picking Dustin Jacoby because his striking is just so good, but Da Jung has proven to have excellent striking as well. He's also proven that he has an incredible backup plan and the ability to outgrapple other dangerous strikers. We haven't seen that from Dustin yet. Dustin only has three takedowns in nine fights, so there really isn't a full backup plan there. So if you think Dustin is the better striker and he has good enough takedown defense, well, then he's the clear pick. If you think Da Jung can work inside and ragdoll like he did to William Knight, then he's the clear pick. Personally, I am going to go Dustin. While the wrestling does worry me. I think Dustin's leg kicks will probably be the difference here. I think he can slow Jung down, take away that movement with early and often leg kicks, and then he can work his striking. This is a really fun fight, and somebody coming out of this is going to get a top 10 opponent, so I'm really looking forward to this one. Then we have a grappler's delight, Ricky Simone taking on Jack Short. It's Simone, not Simon, guys, okay? Don't embarrass yourselves saying Ricky Simon, okay? Anyway, Ricky Simone is a high-energy wrestling beast. The guy will dive on leg after leg with 100% energy over and over until he gets a takedown and potentially a submission. His biggest asset is his gas tank and his willingness to stick to a plan. He's not a technical striker, but it is there to set up his takedowns. And he was able to showcase his power against the Sun Sao in his last fight. He can be hittable, but so far his chin is held up. Jack Shore is also a very good grappler who likes to move forward and is constantly looking for a takedown. Both wrestling and striking are similar come forward styles. He also has surprisingly fast kicks for a grappler. And while he remains undefeated, he's coming off a close win over Timur Valiev where he went three for seven on his takedowns and he was taken down twice. And I'm really torn on this fight. Both of these guys are very good grapplers and lately have shown solid striking as well. Simone's coming off of that KO over a Sun Sao and Jack Shore dropped Teamer twice in his last outing. Right now, the odds have Jack Shore as a decent sized favorite. I personally think this is razor thin and should be closer to a pick'em. I'm gonna go with Ricky Simone here. If you dig into their wins, I just think he has more quality wins over better opponents. The two wins that stand out to me are over Marab, Davishvili, and Ronnie Yaya. In the Marab fight, he was taken down six times, but he gave up less than three minutes of control time, and he was able to defend 16 takedowns. In his fight against Ronnie Yaya, he had four takedowns, two knockdowns, and two 10-8 rounds against a very dangerous veteran. So Jack Shore's very good. He's coming off a great win, but I think Ricky Simone's pressure, experience, pace is going to be the difference here. Watching Ronnie Lawrence get taken down and controlled at UFC Vegas 58 is a little concerning because that could happen to Ricky as well. But again, that Marab Davishali fight, he was taken down six times and he doesn't accept it. He gets up, he works from there. I think the more of the same is going to come here. Betting-wise, I think this is a perfect plus three and a half bet. If you don't know what that is, you basically buy one round on the judge's scorecard. That's it. You're buying three and a half points. So if Ricky can win one round on his own, I will be buying another round. 
and then I'll hit my bet. All he needs to do is either win the fight or win one round and not get stopped, and the bet hits. The odds are not out yet for that, but as soon as they are, I'm most likely going to hop on that. You are only going to find that bet if you go to wewantpicks.com bets. We have five different betting partners. The one and only partner that offers that buy a round bet is Bet Online. So if you hop in there and you make a deposit, we will send you 50 bucks as a thank you for supporting us and them. But they're the only ones with that prop bet. And I do love it here because it's a close fight. Ricky's a good size underdog. So the odds should be okay. And I'm positive he could win at least one round, if not win the fight. And that takes us to Puna Heel Soriano. And he's taking on Dalcha Lungambuna. Punahil Soriano is a fluid striker who has a ton of power, and he could put most people out on their feet. He was a D3 All-American wrestler, and he has four takedowns in the UFC, but that does include three against Jamie Pickett, which is a good thing, right? But three of the four takedowns were in one single fight. He's coming off that loss to Nick Maximov, where his striking was on point, but he was taken down an incredible 11 times. And Punahil's a dangerous striker, but he can be first round or bust. Dolce Lungambula is a short powerhouse who's fast and dangerous he comes forward with insane power and pressure he can also grapple when needed though we saw his grappling in his fight against Marc-Andre Barral where he had two takedowns and in his UFC de debut against Daquan Townsend he had four takedowns before an eventual KO we also saw in his last fight against Cody Brundage he was dominating probably gonna get a stoppage and then he decided to take a poorly timed shot for no reason didn't need it and he got caught in a guillotine it was a bad decision on his part, and it definitely cost him that fight. Punahil is a two-to-one favorite in this fight, and I am surprised. Both of these guys are very dangerous striking, and I, and I know Punahil is a D3 All-American wrestler, but he doesn't use it. N not at all, really. And now we know his takedown defense is not good. Dolce looked great in his last fight up until the fight-losing decision there. He moved to Sanford MMA for that camp, and he has made improvements. He has such insane power that it looks like every tiny strike, even the little ones, the little pot shots defending takedowns, it looks like those are hurting his opponents and just forcing them to let go of legs and, and move on from what they were doing. I like Dolce to win this fight. I think he has more power, better takedown defense, and I think he can keep his power longer into the second and third rounds. I did a tiny half a unit money line bet on Dolce. I will probably jump on an inside-the-distance decision-no-action bet as well. If you don't know what that is, if Dolce Lungambula wins inside the distance, he stops Punahil, I'll get paid. But if it goes to a decision, win or lose, I get a refund. So it's sort of a safety net bet there. Dolce's a pretty durable guy. Obviously, he's coming off that stoppage, but that was a submission. He's a pretty durable guy. I think he can put out Punahil or at least not get put out. And honestly, the same can be said about Punahil. He's pretty durable as well. So that inside the distance decision, no action bet, you might want to pick your side. The problem is Puna Heel is a good size favorite, so you're not going to get good odds on there. But I might, we'll see what the odds are. I might jump on that as well for Dalcha. Again, it's a bet online special. They have the best prop bets in MMA. So go to wewonpicks.com slash bets. If you go to bet online through our link, sign up and make a deposit, we will send you 50 bucks. And then we have a rescheduled Misha Tate versus Lauren Murphy. This was supposed to happen at UFC 276, but Lauren Murphy had COVID, so it was yanked. And uh, Misha Tate, she came back after a five-year layoff, and now she's one in one in her return to the UFC. She's jumping down, jumping, falling down maybe. She's going down in weight to flyweight, and this is her debut. 
in her first fight back, she looked great. She looked like she was in the best shape she had ever been in. She had clean takedowns and a finish. But in her last fight, she went one for six in takedown attempts. And she was a step behind in the striking, which lost her that decision. Misha is a very good wrestler and grappler with technical striking. And people forget, but she's the former champion at 135 and pretty good everywhere, including off her back. And that's where she submitted Holly Holm to win that belt. Lauren Murphy's coming off that title loss to Valentina Shevchenko, but it's important to remember that she legitimately earned that title shot. She had five wins in a row. She's a grinder. She's gritty. She's tough. She has incredible will and determination. She will just stick to a game plan. Wrestling and muscle clinch work is her skill set, but her strongest asset is just her sheer will to win. Her striking is sloppy, but it's in your face and there's constant pressure. Her Lauren's only path to victory in this fight and every other fight is just to be a bully. But the question is, can Lauren bully? Because we know the answer is yes, so that's not really the question, right? Can she bully? The real question is, what is Misha Tate gonna look like at 125 and can you bully her? Can you push around the former 135 pound champion at 125 pounds? And this is a really tough fight to pick because it's Misha's first fight at flyweight. So we have no idea, is she going to be strong? Is her cardio going to be there? We just don't know what she's going to look like at this weight class. So instead of trying to figure out what Misha's going to look like, let's look at who has beaten Lauren Murphy and how they did it. She has five losses in the UFC. Shevchenko dominated the striking and the grappling. Sajara Eubanks dominated the grappling. Liz Carmouche dominated the grappling. Sarah McMahon dominated the grappling. And Caitlin Chikagian did what the hell she does, just pot shots and dancing around for 15 minutes. My point is that Lauren can be taken down. And if you don't let her bully you, you can win. And I have to assume that Misha Tate at 125 pounds will be strong. She will be big. She will be hard to bully. Misha is a grappler. I think she can come forward, work in the takedowns and win the decision. So I'm going to go with Misha Tate here. Anybody complaining that she's a little old? She's 35. She's a younger fighter in this matchup. So Misha Tate, one big brother, and I think she's going to win this fight. So I'm going with Misha Tate here. We'll see what the odds are later in the week. I'm not, not sure how I feel about betting because all it takes is Lauren Murphy to hold Misha against the cage for 15 minutes, and then we've got nothing here. But I do think Misha gets this done. Then we have another really fun fight. We got Shane Burgos taking on Charles Jourdain. This is a good fight night with some solid matchups. This is the striking equivalent to the Ricky Simone Jack Shore fight. Two solid strikers who are going to go at it. Shane Burgos is a very good boxer who just marches forward with high volume and pressure. He'll stay in the pocket and he'll just take one to give one. And what makes him so effective is not only his chin and pressure, but he invests in the body and he wears his opponents down. Unfortunately, though, I don't expect Shane to have a very long career because he gets hit a ton. He absorbs almost eight significant strikes per minute, which is double the UFC average. Charles Jourdain is also a fun come forward striker who also has a great chin. He's incredibly fast. He's got great timing and he's willing to take chances with spinning and flying attacks. He's coming off a very quick submission win over Lando Venata. And before that, he had the very first decision of his career in an awesome fight against Andre Uhl. Despite a handful of attempts, Charles has zero takedowns in his UFC career. A few weeks ago, Bet Online, and actually they had it again last night, a prop bet for fight of the night. 
And if they do that again for UFC Long Island, it's a bit spotty when they have that there. If they do that again for UFC Long Island, this is my pick. This is my pick for fight of the night. We have two high volume strikers with solid chins and no real, real desire to grapple. What does surprise me most here are the odds. Shane is a two to one favorite. And while I agree, I do think he wins here. I think it's a close fight. Jordan has proven to have very real power. Shane had that zombie knockout loss to Barboza last year. And then he was KO'd by Calvin Qatar a little bit before that. So I think Jordan's going to be live for a stoppage as he has been his entire career. But Shane should win with pressure and volume. His numbers are insane. In his last fight with Billy Quarantillo, he landed 232 strikes. And in his fight against Josh Emmett, he landed 148 even after giving up a takedown. So Shane is the pick, but this will be a fun fight. And I do think this will be a very close fight. And I, you guys are on Charles Jordan. I'm sure you're on Charles Jordan. Everybody loves Charles Jordan, but I'm not going to disagree with you. I'm on the Shane side, but hard to argue Charles Jordan's skill set. Then we got Matt Schnell taking on Sue Murajeri. Matt Schnell is a very good counter striker with solid BJJ. He does do an amazing job getting you to follow him. And then he plants his feet and he fires back with combinations. And he loves doing this off leg kicks as well. He'll end an exchange, end the combination with a leg kick. He'll back up. You take two steps forward and then he'll plant and fire away. And that cycle is just gonna repeat itself. His BJJ is slick and he snatches things up and scrambles really well. But while he can be slick on the ground, he has almost no way to get it there. He has a 33% takedown accuracy and only two takedowns in his UFC career. Sue Matajeri is a fast striker with laser accuracy and solid volume. He doesn't have much power, but because he's so fast and his movement is so well-timed, he can get stoppages. He has plenty of cardio, a great in-and-out style, and... He can out-decision most people who aren't looking to take him down. He does have an impressive 100% takedown accuracy, but that's misleading because he only has one single takedown in his UFC career. This is a fun striker versus striker matchup with two guys with very different fight styles. Sumana Jerry's looking to fight a fast technical kickboxing match where Schnell will be looking to counter off that forward pressure. Muderi is sitting at a minus 250 favorite and is pretty solid it's pretty high favorite, but you shouldn't sleep on Schnell, right? It's easy to look at his record and see he was submitted by Brandon Royval two months ago. But if you remember, he dropped Royval early and it looked like he was going to get the KO win. But before that, fortunately, he was caught in a guillotine. And this fight's probably going to be decided by who can impose their striking style. And I do think the forward pressure and volume of Murarji will be better than the weight and counter style of Schnell. But like so many other fights on this card, I think this should be much closer than the odds. So Sumer Energy is the pick, but this is another, this might be a solid three and a half bet. Again, I just walked you through what that is. If you go to weonpick.com slash bets, BetOnline is the one partner that offers it. So I'm basically buying one round on the judges scorecard. So if Matt Schnell can win a round on his own, I will buy a second and if this goes to a decision, I can get that done. We'll see what those odds are when they drop. Those drop on Tuesdays. So depending when you're watching this, check that out and look for that bet. Because I think Matt Schnell is live, but Sue should get it done. That takes us to Jing Lang Lee versus Muslim Salikov. And Jing Lang Lee is a very good boxer with volume and very real power. He mixes in low kicks to slow you down before sending power hands over the top, right? He'll... He'll work with the volume, fast, 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 low kick, low kick, 
Soon as you're slow, he just starts looping big overhands, trying to get to that chin. But as solid as his striking is, he does have holes in his grappling. He is not a complete fish out of water, but his 58% takedown defense may get tested against Salikov here. It was definitely tested against Kamzat Shamaev in his last fight. Muslim Salikov is a solid striker who hits very hard and has wrestling in his back pocket if he needs it. He holds nothing back. And almost every single strike is a significant strike. For example, in his last win against Trinaldo, he landed 71 strikes total, and 62 of them were significant. So in a fight with two takedowns and three minutes of control time, only nine of those strikes were not significant. He has really good takedown defense, solid takedown offense, and great striking. And a few months ago, when I broke down the Shamayev versus Jim, uh, Burns fight, I mentioned that Shemaev has no wins over top 10 opponents. And you people came from my head, screaming and yelling in the comments that, oh, Shemaev beat Jing Lang. He's top 10. Jing Lang's amazing. And all of a sudden, there was an army of internet know-it-alls who insisted on pushing some weird name and narrative that Jing Lang is one of the best fighters on planet Earth. Well, listen, he's not, okay? And I hope all of those loudmouths who were just insisting that Shemaev's win over Jin Lang meant, like it, it, all of those people insisting that Jin, Jin Lang was this top 10 killer. I hope you people are betting the crap out of him in this fight because I would love a little bit of line movement here. I think Salikov absolutely gets this done. I like the technical striking. I like the power. I like the takedown threats. I think I think Salikov is, is a clear win. I got a money line bet on him at minus 170. And I hope everybody who had nasty things to say in that burn Shemaev breakdown video, please bet on Jing Lang. I want this line to move. I'll double down on Salikov. And you guys know I'm spiteful as hell. And I don't forget some of the nasty people in the comments section. Let's end this on a positive note. We got the Karate Hottie taking on Amanda Lemos. Michelle Waterson, a.k.a. the Karate Hottie, is a talented fighter who has been a professional for an incredible 15 years. She's got a ton of cage time with some of the best to ever do it. She's fought multiple champions like Rose Namajunas and Carla Esparza, Joanna Jerzejcik, and she has wins over people like Angela Hill, Carolina when she was good, Felice when she was good, and other tough women who are just sitting right outside the top 10. Style-wise, she's a slick striker who uses kicks and distance well with wrestling in her back pocket. She has 20 takedowns in her last 13 fights, and despite the 33% accuracy, she can time her shots really well. Amanda Limoche, it's a, it's a sh at the end, not an S. Amanda Limoche, is a Muay Thai striker with fast hands and a ton of power. She does a very good job keeping her fights at that Muay Thai range to avoid takedowns. She's got a solid 88% takedown defense and has only been taken down one time in the UFC. Even in her submission loss to Jessica Andrade, she defended the takedown. She was submitted on her feet. And despite her last two performances, which were not great, Amanda Limoche has power in her hands, she's very dangerous on the ground, and is a tough outing for most women in the division. And I like Michelle Waterson here a lot, or in general, not necessarily here, but I like her a lot. I just don't see her winning this fight, unfortunately. For her to beat a man that she's gonna need to stick and move for an entire 15 minutes, and that's exactly what she needed to do in her last fight against Marina Rodriguez, but she wasn't able to get it done then, and I don't think she's gonna be able to get it done now. She's very tough, 
So I don't think there's going to be a stoppage, but I think Amanda's power, takedown defense, and volume of five significant strikes landed per minute will get it done. So Lemos is the pick, and she is honestly probably safe to throw into some parlays. The odds are a bit wide for a money line, but you want to smash her up against another confident pick, you could probably do pretty well there. And that takes us to the main event of the evening. We have Brian Ortega taking on Yair Rodriguez. Brian Ortega is a phenomenal grappler. He doesn't have very good wrestling. He's got a low 24% accuracy, which is, you guys, you've been watching this long enough. You know I can't stand that. I cannot stand phenomenal jiu-jitsu people who can't get it to the ground. What is the point of being that good at jiu-jitsu if you can't get it there? And Brian Ortega falls in that category. 24% takedown accuracy. It's brutal. But if he is able to get you to the ground, you're probably in some trouble. He has solid offensive striking, but his defense needs a little bit of work. He's hit with almost seven significant strikes per minute, which is very high. It's very, very high for this division. He's hot and cold in his fights, which makes breaking him down hard. He looked like a lion against Frankie Edgar and then a sheep against Max Holloway. He looked like a lion against the Korean zombie and then a sheep against Volkanovski. So Brian Ortega... Hot and cold in some of those matchups, but an incredibly talented grappler who needs to work on his takedown offense. Yair Rodriguez was, at one point, a surging up-and-comer. And actually, we saw a statistic last night at UFC Vegas 58 that Yair Rodriguez has the most amount of fight-a-night wins since 2013. Anyway, he came into this UFC and he made a splash. He put together a nice win streak before he lost to Frankie Edgar, but then he bounced back with a great win over the Korean Zombie and then Jeremy Stevens. And then his momentum slowed down. He had a two year layoff from the cage. And then he came back and he fought Max Holloway. He's a fun, athletic guy who's going to spin kick his way to a knockout and entertain you the entire time that he's in the cage. He's tough to deal with because his striking is so unpredictable and even if it does open him up for takedowns, he's capable enough to throw up a submission or create scrambles to work back to his feet. Both of these guys are coming off main event losses, but they looked very different in those fights. Yair Rodriguez looked incredible in that loss to Max. He was dynamic. He was landing well. And even, even though he was taken down, he looked really, really good. And he may have won that fight if you remove the takedowns from there. Brian Ortega did not look good in his, against, in his loss against Alex Volkanovski in that title shot. He did drop Alex. He did almost pull off that submission, but he was outclassed the entire time outside of those two exchanges. And I think I like Yair here. I totally understand if they hit the ground, there's going to be some trouble, right? There's a large skill gap there. But I think there's an even larger skill gap on their feet. And styles make fights, and I think the dynamic striking of Yair is going to be a problem for Ortega. Volkanovski and Max were both able to dominate the striking because they don't sit still. They don't give Ortega time to adjust. They don't give him time to grapple. And Ortega's striking, while it's technical, it's not natural. So he has to think about what he's doing. And if you're not in front of him, it's very hard to think about that. So I do think styles make fights, and I think Yair's striking style could be a problem He's constant movement. He's got lots of power. And this time, he's not going to have two years of ring rust to shake off like he did against Max. So I like a year to win this fight. And if you want to say, well, Max took him down three times, Brian can take him down too. Listen, that's a very solid point. But I think Max was able to get the takedowns because a year didn't expect them. Who expected Max to shoot takedowns in that fight? So I think a year wasn't prepared for that, didn't expect that. And all of a sudden, there's some takedowns there that, you know, you, you weren't 
thinking were going to come your way, where this time around, fighting Brian Ortega, Nayir Rodriguez is positive that takedown attempts will be coming his way. And unfortunately for Brian, the ones that are becoming his way are not very good. He's not very good at takedown. So Brian Ortega is an incredible fighter. He's very dangerous. He does have solid hands, but you can't tell me he's a better striker than Yair Rodriguez. You can't tell me that. Come on. I know you guys are going to come for me. I know you guys are going to absolutely hate this pick. And maybe you should listen to Jacob because he's coming off of a perfect UFC Vegas 58 fight card, and I'm not. But I do think Yair Rodriguez gets this done. I did put a small money line bet on him at plus 137. I'm going to be watching this closely. I am genuinely curious what you guys think. Put your comments below and join our free Discord. We have a free Discord. The link is in the description. Cost nothing. Go there. Share your picks. Share your opinions. Let's all work together. It's not you guys versus me. It's all of us together trying to steal money from the books and make them look stupid. Guys, thanks so much for the watch. Like, subscribe, do all the things. And don't forget, we on picks.com slash bets. Sign up, make a deposit. We send you 50 bucks. I'll see you guys later this week. Join our Tuesday night live stream.